Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Bill Balderas. This is a special episode for February 17th, 2016, where we're going to talk about the Zika virus. I'm joined today by Dr. Joseph Gastaldo, an infectious disease specialist with Ohio Health in Columbus, Ohio, and by Dr. Ford Vox, a neurorehabilitation specialist at Shepherd Center in Atlanta, along with Jane Sanders, the Director of Public Relations, also at the Shepherd Center. Welcome to our show, everyone. Good day. Good day. Great. Thank you. you. Let's start with the basics. We're we're doing this show because a lot of our healthcare systems, not only healthcare professionals, but the communities they serve, have been reaching out with a lot of questions around Zika. So, Dr. Gastaldo, let's start with you. Can you tell us, first of all, give us the, the general background. What is the Zika virus? Sure, be happy to. Well, Zika virus is in the family of viruses called the flavivirus. And indeed, worldwide, this family of viruses is not new in causing illness in people. Uh, other well-known viruses in this family include the dengue virus, the yellow fever virus, West Nile virus, and Japanese encephalitis virus. Those are all different viruses that we've known about for quite some time. And indeed, Zika virus is not a new virus. It was actually first isolated in 1947, and it was named after the Zika forest of Uganda. How people get it is they actually get it through a mosquito that incidentally bites a host that's infected with a virus, and then they uh, bite another person, whether it be a monkey or a human being, and that's how the virus is spread from either person to person or animal to person. It's not really known exactly where the virus originated from when it was first identified in 1947. There's theories of it coming from monkeys or some other uh, uh, mammal. But nonetheless, when it was first identified, it was first predominantly isolated in equatorial areas of Africa and Asia. And what's happened over the last couple years, specifically in 2014, the virus was then identified in the Pacific Ocean in the French Polynesia area. In 2015, we had our first isolation of Zika virus in Brazil and in the New World. And uh, the rest is kind of history now based on the news. Uh, Everybody is aware of Zika virus having an association uh, with a sinister birth defect called microcephaly. Great, great. Okay, thanks for that background. Dr. Vox, can you talk about, uh, Dr. uh, Gastaldo set us up a little bit here for some of the, the symptoms, but can you talk about what some of the Um, symptoms and the effects are of the Zika virus? So the Zika virus, when it uh, strikes an uh, adult, and of course the the real question, the real concern about the symptoms are potentially a developing fetus that may be carried by uh, a pregnant female, but uh, the the virus itself is a relatively mild uh, condition, especially when compared to some of the other viruses the same uh, mosquitoes uh, carry, such as uh, dengue or chikungunya. Uh, it can result in uh, a mild fever, uh, certainly some body aches and, and rashes and some irritation of the eyes. Uh, and it is typically uh, going to be a short-lived course of several days, uh, typically not more than, uh, than a week, and uh, then passes and certainly the body may build some immunity uh, to it, and hopefully that's what's occurring now in South America, and, and we'll see this, uh, this start to, to crest and, and go down. The real concern is certainly... If uh, it's striking a pregnant female, we think most likely in uh, the early phases of the pregnancy that it may be uh, attacking uh, the fetal uh, nervous system. 
um, and resulting in this uh, issue of microcephaly, of course, it does appear to be only a small percentage of, uh, of infants that are affected out of all the many thousands or tens of thousands, potentially, of infected women. And then there is the, the potential risk, uh, also not uh, entirely proven yet, of it being linked to Guillain-Barre syndrome, uh, which is a form of uh, paralysis. Okay. All right. Thanks for, for setting that up or mentioning that. You mentioned the, the pregnancy risk, and I can tell you most of the phone calls, emails, concerns that we're hearing from the hospitals we work with are from pregnant women, uh, generally here in the United States. So, Dr. Gastaldo, who is, who is impacted? If I am a, a pregnant woman in the United States, do I need to uh, be concerned? At this point in time, no. The, the people, the cases of Zika virus infection that we have to date have all been acquired outside of the continental United States, meaning that uh, we have yet to have a case where it was diagnosed, where it was contracted within the United States. So at this point in time, uh, as of February of 2016, there are not any cases of Zika virus acquired in our country. Now that may change as time goes on uh, with the guidance of the state health departments and the CDC. Uh, I'm almost certain that uh, this summer and this mosquito season, mosquitoes throughout our country will be tested for Zika virus. So this may change, but as at, as at this point in time, the virus is not and identified as uh, being acquired in this country. And you mentioned the mosquito. thing I wanted to emphasize. Please. Good. Oh, please, go ahead. Now, one, of, one of the things I wanted to emphasize on, on the, the symptomatology of Zika virus is that most people who only one out of five people who get infected with the virus will have any symptoms whatsoever. So most people who actually even have this, and this would include uh, a pregnant woman, are even unaware that they even have the infection because they are asymptomatic from it. The symptoms that were described such as a mild headache or rash or fever, malaise, um, one out of five people will even have those symptoms. And I'll add that uh, that lack of symptomatology in 80% of people is why we're seeing some of the uh, more unusual public health recommendations uh, surrounding Zika virus, such as uh, women who uh, are pregnant or seeking to become pregnant and not have uh, sexual, unprotected sexual intercourse with male partners who have recently traveled uh, to countries where Zika is transmitting. And uh, on that front, uh, I believe we did see reports of, it, of one sexual transmission in, uh, in Texas that have not uh, as spread yet by the uh, mosquito, but, uh, but that is certainly a, a concern, the, the idea of sexual transmission between uh, the many tens of thousands of people who are traveling back and forth between the United States and these countries. And, and you just touched on probably the second most asked question then, and that is how this is transmitted. So far I've heard, I've heard mosquitoes mentioned initially uh, by, by both physicians on the phone here. Um, you mentioned sexually transmitted diseases, but can we be very clear for our listeners, what are, how is this transmitted? So I will be clear cut and saying, so it, it, theoretically it could be transmitted four different ways. The way that this virus is being transmitted in most cases is from a mosquito bite, where an uninfected mosquito bites a human or a mammal, gets infected that way, and then they bite another mammal or human. That is the predominant mode of transmission of Zika virus. That's the first way. Second way, uh, theoretically, is through sexual transmitted infection. And indeed, I would not put Zika virus in the same category as gonorrhea or syphilis. However, 
when people get infected with this virus, they actually get the virus in their bloodstream. We call that viremia. And like many other viruses, when you have viremia or a virus in the bloodstream, it can get in other body fluids also. Hence, uh, potentially it could be sexually transmitted as appears to be the case in Texas. Uh, transmission way number three also has to do with viremia and virus getting other body fluids. Uh, the transmission to the fetus um, uh, through body fluids. And then finally, another, another hypothetical way of transmission, and I am unaware of this being transmitted, Zika virus being transmitted this way, is through blood transfusion. Uh, and I'm old enough to remember back when HIV was first around the 1980s before we screened the virus, uh, we screened the blood supply for HIV, HIV was transmitted that way, and other viral agents have been transmitted through blood transfusions. So, I'm uncertain exactly um, what the Red Cross is doing now as far as screening for Zika virus in the blood supply, but uh, if it's not being done now, I, I'd be willing to um, uh, rest assured that somebody is working on screening the blood supply for Zika virus transmission. Great, great. Thank you. That's uh, very helpful. We appreciate that. You, you, you mentioned, you both have also talked about um, it's relatively often asymptomatic that very few people infected ever know it. And so, again, going back to the most common questions we're seeing, if I am not a woman who is pregnant or expecting to be pregnant, I there is there is not a health risk to me. There's not a health risk. We have questions, are there health risk to infants, um, young infants that may potentially be uh, bitten by a mosquito? But are, are you you both saying that really the 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 sole symptom that we know of um, is specifically impacting unborn children? Well, yeah, I mean, the sinister outcome, I mean, the, the most severe outcome uh, from this would be microcephaly. I mean, that, that, that uh, infants born with that condition oftentimes don't survive, or if they do survive, uh, they are alive with uh, very severe birth defects, which, which makes their long-term viability questionable. Okay, thank you. Is this, is, uh, yes, sir, please. Well, so, you know, in terms of generally recommending that people avoid travel to countries where Zika is, is spreading, so I, I think that, that that recommendation certainly stands for pregnant women. Initially, it was only the CDC that was making that recommendation. Uh, as of last week, the World Health Organization has uh, come on board with that recommendation as well. They did take a little bit longer. I do think that certainly everyone needs to maintain extremely diligence to avoidance steps uh, if you are traveling in these countries. I myself am traveling in a couple of weeks, not to a country where Zika has yet been reported, but I fully expect that there could be a Zika transmitting mosquitoes there, and I plan to be very diligent about my exposure there as well. So I think it's something where everyone has to take great care, even with some of the risks that are reported as in, you know, again, very infrequent, this idea that it may be associated with Guillain-Barre syndrome. It's not on the level that I think we, we need to, to call up all, all travel altogether. The operate syndrome, for example, the one condition that is not associated with being pregnant is something that we can acquire in the United States due to any other number of viruses as well. Can you talk a little bit more about... Sorry. Uh, please go ahead. And then I was going to piggyback. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Gasaldo. I was going to piggyback uh, advice on really on how to avoid this. There is no uh, vaccination or treatment for Zika virus infection as at this point in time. I anticipate that within the next five to 10 years or 
that we'll, we will have a vaccine for it. I know there's a French company working on a vaccine for Zika, Zika virus, but the advice I would give anybody traveling uh, to anywhere close to a country would be to be familiar with the term what I like to call mosquito hygiene. And that really involves what you need to know about the mosquitoes that transmit Zika virus. Uh, these mosquitoes mostly feed during the day. Also, uh, these mosquitoes don't typically bite in the, at nighttime. People need to wear long sleeve shirts and long pants. Uh, people need to use a uh, environmental protection agency registered insect repellent. Uh, apply them often. If you use sunscreen, you should apply that over your sunscreen. The EPA registered insect repellent can be used, and they're even uh, uh, effective for pregnant and breastfeeding women. Uh, if you sleep in these countries, you should sleep under a mosquito net if you are overseas or outside and you're unable to protect yourself from mosquitoes. And the most important thing that I like to stress upon the people is in the air conditioning uh, where mosquitoes typically aren't found because of air filters, uh, you're relatively safe. You know, in Brazil and in some of these countries, the way people, uh, and, uh, and the reason this hypothesized that this has been more of a problem in Brazil is because people live in much higher concentrated areas in the big cities that have had these outbreaks. And it's a much different way than typically how we live in North America, where everybody has their own private home uh, with air conditioning and, and filters, air, et cetera, et cetera. The transmission in some of the areas have been in crowded urban centers. That is, that's great advice, very helpful, and a lot of the things I think a lot of our listeners would not have thought of in terms of the prevention. So thank, thanks for sharing that. Dr. Vox, we're going to come back to you here. You mentioned uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome a couple times here. Can you talk a little bit more about this connection? Again, there seems to be a, a vast amount of misinformation or questions online about the connection. So it's certainly an unproven connection. Uh, Brazil did see a spike in 20% in cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome last year. And uh, we've seen kind of an extra 100 or so cases in countries like uh, Venezuela and Colombia. So it's, it does seem to be that we are seeing some spikes as perhaps Zika moves north into uh, northern South America and into Central America, and that appears to be perhaps the first wave, and then later, obviously, microcephalic infants being born. In terms of the, the propensity for Zika to cause a GBS, that link has not yet been proven, and it could be a factor of being exposed to multiple different viruses. Perhaps it's something to do with the fact that dengue also being endemic in the area, and then to have any uh, infection with Zika on top of that could be something that's relatively unique to the population and is exposed to more of these types of similar viruses in that area of the world. Now, the numbers are potentially alarming, and the World Health Organization has uh, sent out an alert uh, about this potential risk uh, as well. In fact, just sending out another notice today. Certainly more research has to be done when it comes to uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Now, it is not something that, unlike kind of the microcephaly being caused by this virus, is, is quite unusual. Guillain-Barre syndrome is a little bit uh, better understood. It's even potentially well, it is associated even with the flu virus, for example, and, and many other viruses. It is, however, a, a disorder that when it occurs requires very advanced medical treatment, but unfortunately is, is not available throughout much of Central and South America. I understand. Okay. Thank you. Jane, we're going to, I'm going to come back to you here for a little bit or, or talk with you a little bit. 
I mentioned that the driver for doing this uh, this episode, this edition, is lots of questions, lots of concerns. And in the age of Facebook and Twitter and social media, there's a lot of misinformation. It's easier. It's easy to publish. Organizations like Healthcare Systems and the CDC and World Health Organization have filters and standards on what gets published. But sometimes that means we're not as fast as just the the blogger or the person out there spreading misinformation. Um, I know at Shepherd Center you primarily work with other healthcare providers. But can you share some information for our listeners who are in the communication space? What are some steps we should all be taking to help educate, inform the public, prevent the panic, prevent the the misinformation, the urban legends that often accompany um, a situation like this? I do think that we have a responsibility to provide accurate information to not inflame any panic that might be going on in the general public. Um, at Shepherd Center, we're, we're a rehabilitation hospital for spinal cord and brain injury, not an acute care facility, so we're not directly communicating with our audiences about Zika per se, but about the uh, possible connection between Zika and Guillain-Barre. And um, so we created uh, last week with the help of Fathom and with a review from Dr. Vox and our medical director here at Shepherd Center, we created a web page talking specifically about GBS and including the information on there about the possible link between Zika and the increase in cases of GBS in Central and South America. So uh, we felt it was very important to, to have that out there as a, uh, an accurate piece of information as well as from a from a marketing standpoint, we felt like there were going to be a lot of searches, online searches about Zika and and GBS because there had been some news media coverage. So we wanted to make the information available that should cases of uh, of GBS arise in the United States, that Shepherd Center uh, is potentially a resource for the treatment of those patients who need that level of care. Great. Excellent. And if, if you had a, a relative, Jane, just hypothetically speaking, who came to you and said, okay, outside of the Ohio Health and the Shepherd Center websites, if I wanted to go somewhere and I, or, or how would I understand what information I should trust or what other websites or resources could I look toward to help keep myself informed? Certainly, I think the CDC's website, World Health Organization, and then Dr. Box has written a number of articles recently that are published on uh, CNN, and he's done interviews with the BBC and also with Headline News that put out some very accurate information. So there are some good news sources. You know, we, we don't want people necessarily believing everything they see on social media. I think that's uh, a mistake that a lot of people in the public are unfortunately prone to make. Well, I want to thank the three of you because I, I think this information will help uh, set some of those mistakes right and help correct some of the misinformation out there. To wrap things up, I'll turn to both. We'll go kind of around the room here. But Dr. Gastaldo, I guess you first. Any closing remarks, comments you want to make sure that our listeners uh, picked up or absorbed from this conversation? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to tell people is uh, I agree that the CDC uh, website, cdc.gov, is, is a very reliable place for information to read where uh, anybody could really go there and kind of get a feel for what's going on. This stuff changes. What we know today about Zika is very different than what we knew a month ago. So I encourage listeners to uh, stay current with a reliable source of information. We'll see where this evolves. Uh, 
I'm sure a year from now, six months from now, we'll know a lot more about some of the topics we talked about. Great, great. Uh, and then, Dr. Vox, same same question for you. As, as this is an evolving, ever-changing topic, uh, any parting thoughts you want to make sure to leave our listeners with? Well, I would certainly like to echo with what James said. You know, there are more questions than answers when it comes to uh, what we're learning about uh, Zika. Each, each new bit of information does pose potential implications for one's health and, and behavior. I think it's important to, to certainly remain diligent about the things that are practical with regards to mosquito control. We do need to think about that in the context of summer coming around the corner. I do think that it's important to uh, avoid panic, but uh, there is certainly a reasonable cause for concern here. This is an unusual virus. Well, at least it's certainly it's, it's doing unusual things in the human population. I think it is certainly a legitimate cause of, of much news and attention. And I think it, it deserves everyone's uh, due diligence and attention. Beyond the, the CDC and the WHO, I would also uh, recommend the National Institutes of Health website. There's excellent information there as well. Great. Well, thanks to all three of you. I think you've helped educate a lot of our listeners, and this is obviously top of mind for a lot of folks right now. That's it for this week's HealthCast. Once again, I'm Bill Balderas, and thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, don't just live, live well. <laughs>